So open up your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and 29, we're going to be looking at the end of chapter 28 and then almost all of chapter 29. As you turn there, and there will be some verses on the, on the screen if you didn't bring your Bible or you don't have a digital form of it. Um, as you turn, let me give you some background of these chapters, right? We are coming in chapters 28 and 29 to the end of King David's life. King David has been the great king of Israel. He's God's man, the apple of God's eye. It's going to be through King David that Jesus Christ himself will one day be born, right? And as he comes to the end of his life, he is seeking to fulfill a long-held desire. Maybe more than 20 years before this, he was in his castle, his palace one day in Jerusalem. He's at the height of his power and his strength and his wealth, and, and he's living in this gorgeous mansion-like palace that he describes. And he looks out across the, the land and he realizes that while he worships in this beautiful, or he lives in this beautiful palace, God's living in a tent, essentially. That, that, that the temple of God is a tent and people go to this tent to sacrifice and to worship God. And he says, this is not right. It is not right that I live in this beautiful palace and God's presence is in a tent. So Lord, I want to build you a beautiful temple. And he goes to God asking for permission and God says, absolutely not. No, you have too much blood on your hands. You are the warrior who has destroyed enemies and thousands of men are dead at your hand. No, you can't build my temple. But I am going to make your lineage, your dynasty, an everlasting dynasty. And your son, Solomon, he is going to build my temple for, you, for me. And so time progresses. And as we come near the end of David's life, a few years before, he returns to this long-held desire he communes with God, and as you'll see, God gives him the plan. So the architect for their temple was not KBJ in Jacksonville, it was David, and through God, who gave him what he wanted to have done. And then David begins to take from the, from the governmental treasury large amounts of money. I mean, by today's standards, it is billions and billions of dollars. And he buys the iron that is needed and they melt it down and he has millions of nails made, right? I mean, you got to think about what's a project like this behind all you guys who do construction and engineering, you can appreciate this. He spends years, he has the stones cut down so that, you know, there'll be the masons will be able to do. He does everything. He gets the gold fixtures and all the things that are needed for the fixtures to be made, the furniture to be made, the paneling to be done. He has the trees cut down, the lumber's curing. He is engaged in preparing everything that's needed for this temple, right? He's got it all good to go. And he says, it's time for me to step aside as the king, the daily operations, Solomon, it's time for you to assume the throne. And by the way, here's the plans. You got a job to do, right? That's where we are. And so what's interesting in this is, is what you notice that there's overlap between the plans that God gives David for the temple and really what we're desi desiring to do with our 
new facility, right? You heard uh, Don talk about transcendence and eminence. Obviously, when you went to this temple, you knew it was, it was God-inspiring, right? You went there and you wanted to worship God because the environment was such that it just inspired that nature, of, of, of that response to God. And, uh, and yet, it had plenty of places for the people to be gathered together and to interact with one another and to sense the presence of God with them. This is eminence, tra- holiness and nearness, transcendence and eminence, right? And Don talked about form and function. Uh, you know, you see both of these in play with the temple. I was talking to one of our deacons recently, and we were talking about form and function, and he goes, you know, he said, and he was an engineer, and they're not all engineers think this way, but some do, and he said, you know, I'm an engineer. To me, it's all about the function, man. He said, I, a, a, a box is fine with me, you know, because have, have you noticed that the trend in churches today, and this isn't to be critical, it's just an observation, that there's been a trend probably for about 20, 30 years now or more that the, the churches are either, they just look like modern, maybe office building. You don't know, is it an office building? Is it a business? A lot of times right now, it seems like they're just a box, you know, it's like a square box. And, and this, this deacon said, you know, I, I can do a lot with a box, you know, and for fun, from function perspective. But then he said something important. He said, but you know what? Not everybody is created like me. Other people care about form. He says, we've got to get form and function right. And he nailed it. You know, he recognized it. Yes. And, and what you see is in the temple and what we're hoping for is not an either or form or function. We, we want both. We want our cake and we want to eat it too, right? We want form and function. If you look at the temple, you know, you realize that they collected and they built things that were beautiful, creative, artistic columns that had absolutely no architectural or construction function at all. They were just there to be beautiful. Why would God waste money on columns that were simply beautiful? Inlaid with gold. No, we're not inlaying gold columns, so don't hear that, okay? Um, just my bathroom fixtures. Um, no, 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 no. No gold, promise, right? But why would God have, a, have columns in the temple that were just beautiful? Why do you think he did that? Because God is beautiful. And God creates things that are beautiful. And our God is a creative God, and this is an aspect of who he is. And when you come into his house, you want that to kind of reflect, at least in some way, the nature of God. It's not a waste of space at all, according to, apparently, to God. So these, these kind of, you know, values that are in the temple, you know, they, they worship in this temple for hundreds of years, generation after generation after generation. So in other words, they built something that was timeless, not trendy, right? And, and that's what we're going for, church. We're going for something that has all of these values, that's, that's timeless, that our kids and grandkids and maybe even great-grandkids down the line would feel comfortable worshiping in one day. And that when they do so, they feel like we're coming into a place where I can worship and God is being honored and we're, you know, he's being pointed to. So here, in, but that is background, kind of. Let's jump into the passage, and I want to give you three quick gospel applications from this passage. First is this. Transitions, which include big kingdom projects, are scary tests 
of faith. Transitions which include kingdom projects are scary tests of faith, right? Let me ask you a quick question. How many of you, I want you to raise your hand. How many of you are wired, because we're all wired differently, how many of you are wired in such a way that change, transitions, and all the upheaval and chaos of life that happens with change and transitions, how many of you that just absolutely lights your fire? You love it, raise your hand. Okay, there is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There is about, mm, I'm gonna say 20 people. How many of you, it fills you with anxiety, dread, what, you don't like it, raise your hand. Yeah, that's most of us. That's most people, right? That's the way we are wired. So imagine, most people are like this. I bet you Solomon was like this, okay? So imagine what Solomon felt when dad plops down the blueprints and says, get to work, right? Everything's gonna be turned upside down for the next many years as you build this temple. And, And why do I believe that this is what Solomon's response was? Because of what David has to say to him in the, uh, in, in First Chronicles chapter 28, beginning in verse 19. Let me read it to you here real fast. Every part of this plan, David told Solomon, was given to me in writing from the hand of the Lord. Then David continued, be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord my God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. He will see to it that all the work related to the temple of the Lord is finished correctly. Why do you think David had to tell Solomon, be strong and courageous, don't be afraid? Why do you think he had to tell him that? Because it was scary. He was scared. It's like, oh, this is intimidating. This is hard. Church, you know, we are launching and doing something at Covenant that has not been done in 40 years of this church's history. We are going back to doing ministry for the next 18 to 24 months, roughly, you know, even after we move in, there'll be an adjustment period. We are gonna be doing ministry the way New City's having to do it every weekend with Ben and our church plant. We're gonna be church planners for the next, we haven't had to do this for 40 years. We are in a comfortable groove around here, right? And all of that is about to get turned upside down on its head. And it's intimidating. It's natural to be a little bit afraid. It's natural to be nervous. It's intimidating and it's challenging. And we're going to be doing ministry that we're used to in a totally different environment and, you know, different mechanism and logistics. It's hard and, and we've already experienced this. We've had, as Don talked to you, there's been these unexpected surprises, just things that we're not omniscient. We didn't see it coming. And some of the things are just out of our control. Our architects said one of the reasons why the costs have gone up so much is simply because the cost of oil has gone up so much. He said oil is involved in every aspect of a building project from you know, manufacturing to transportation, everything. And he says, all of that cost gets passed on. It's out of our control. We didn't know this a year ago, right? And so it's, it's intimidating. Uh, I mean, just to give you a microcosm of what's been going on, <laughs> our poor staff, right? For a month, we've been trying to nail down office space. 
And, and we thought we had office space identified. We had had contracts drawn up. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've been sending him in and we've been having this weird interaction with the landlord or the owner. And he, he kept changing things on us and he kept you know, messing around with us. And, and Monday, here, I mean, we're closing in two weeks, guys. We need, we need space. He just says, nah, I'm gonna rent it to somebody else. Yank the rug right out from underneath us. And, and, and the poor staff, I'm sitting there in the, in the room. I mean, they're already, I mean, you know, some of, the, some of our staff, you know, we're all different, guys and gals, right? And some of the guys and gals are, hey, yeah, change, transition, no problem. Right? Okay, doesn't bother me. Others of our staff are, you know, they, they, I need my nest. What's wrong with you? You know, I need my office. I need, and, and, and they're totally different personalities, right? And you know what happened is, is we just, I remember Muddy and staff meeting, we just paused and we prayed and we asked God to work it out. And we just came before God with humility and said, we can't fix this, fix this. And you know, by the end of that day, God took us to better office space we're going to have better ministry space for our Tuesday morning women's and nursery and all of those needs that we need for our women's ministry. And we have office space that has better storage and better offices and things like this. And it's going to be maybe what, $10,000, something like that, cheaper than what we were going to pay. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's the way God can work in times of transition. You know, where churches make mistakes is we, you know, they, they start pointing fingers and they get this and that and not understanding that God is sovereign. He, he's, he knows how all is this is going to be done and he is going to bring it about for his good and glory, right? That's what's going to happen here. And so every time these things happen, and this won't be the last hiccup, this won't be the last speed bump, this won't be the last, oh no, really? It won't be, guys. We have a choice at that moment. We can get our knickers in a wad and go off the reservation with fear and anxiety or be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. He will see to it that all the work related to the temple of the Lord is finished correctly. Second application. God calls on his people to personally sacrifice for the sake of his kingdom projects. One of the areas where I was convicted over the last couple of months was, you know, I had basically spent the surplus that we were expecting a thousand different ways with ministry uh, options. What if we did this? What if we did, you know, and I mean, I had a lot of fun with that. But there were a few of you who were saying, you know, I don't know that this is healthy. <laughs> you know, where's the skin in the game for us as a congregation? I appreciated that. And I listened and I nodded and smiled and, okay, so we can do this, <laughs> you know, moved on. Um, I had to repent of that because, you know, what was happening was I was planning the future apart from faith in God. Oh, we have the resources. We can do it. We pull this lever, do that, boom, blah, 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 boom. A plus B equals C, we're done, right? That's not God's math, church. It's not how I had to be reminded of that. I had to repent of that. Um, I started thinking about it. When has God ever done anything in the scriptures or in history of his kingdom 
where he does not call on his people to sacrifice in some way or another. Give me one example. I couldn't think of one. And certainly that's the case here in 1 Chronicles. Verse 1, Then King David turned to the entire assembly and said, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen you, uh, chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals, it is for the Lord God himself. Using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. Now there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, as well as great quantities of onyx, other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stones and marble. And now, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I'm giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This, in addition, is in addition to the materials I've already collected for his holy temple. Let me pause right there for a minute, right? What's he saying? He's saying, all right, church, we're getting, or people, we're about to begin this project. I have taken a large sum of money out of the state's coffers, the treasury, everything that we can, and, and have done that. And there's a gap. So I've turned to my own personal bank account. And I have given all the gold and silver in my bank account, which by the way, in modern terms, the, the modern amount of gold that he gave at today's price for gold was something like $30 billion. <laughs> David wasn't poor, right? But he gave it all for the, for the need. Yet it still was not enough. It still wasn't enough. Now then, he says, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today. Then the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals, the captains of the army, and the king's administrative officers all gave willingly for the construction of the temple of God. They gave about 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, 3,750 tons of iron. Wow. They also contributed numerous precious stones, which were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehiel, a descendant of Gershon. The people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord, and King David was filled with joy. Incredible passage. David sets the example. The people of God followed it. They, what they ended up happening here is when they had that gap, the people of God turned to their own assets and said, we will make up the gap, okay? We will take care of it. And so they used things that you would normally pass down to the next generation. They used their precious stone. These are things that built family wealth, right? These are their long-term assets that they dipped into what was at their disposal to close that gap. And they sacrificed in this way, why? Why would they sacrifice in this way? Well, that's our third application. As David sees what happens to the people, he lifts up to us this beautiful prayer and even a song of praise of how God was working among the people. And the gist of this was that it is good and it is right for the people of God to obey his call and the sacrifice. And he lays out in this prayer four very distinct reasons why it is good for the people of God to sacrifice when it comes time 
to be a part of kingdom projects and kingdom work. Beginning in verse 10, he says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. Remember, we talked about kingdom last week. And he, he brings it right back to this very fundamental perspective of why do you get involved and why do we adore the one who's over all things? Why do you sacrifice to close that gap? He says, because, simply because of who you are. The, the main reason why we get involved in something like this, a kingdom project like this, is because of who our God is. He is the sovereign king of everything. This is his kingdom, and we are his people, and he is doing his work in us and through us for his glory, for our good. And so when we look at having to volunteer on transitions teams, <laughs> if we look at having to pitch in together and close the gap of, of what we have with the building that we need, we start right here. We do all of these things because of the greatness of our God. The God who gave us everything he had, his very life itself, to redeem us from our sins. This is the God we worship. This is the God who is our Lord, our sovereign King. He's the God who suffered on our behalf, sacrificed on our behalf. Is it not infinitely reasonable then when the opportunity arises to sacrifice for his behalf. Is that not good and reasonable for his people? Second application, verse 12, wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand and at your discretion. People are made great and given strength Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you and we give you only what you first gave us. Second reason why we step up and sacrifice for the cause of the kingdom is because everything that we have, everything that's a potential asset that we could give back to God actually already belongs to God. He's simply asking us to sacrifice and give back to his kingdom work. There's a third reason in verse 15. We are here for only a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. You know what he's saying here? He's saying when we participate in the kingdom projects and kingdom work, we invest in faith for an eternal legacy. Why do we sit here this morning having the blessings that we have in this church that we've already experienced today? Why is this happening? If you think about it, it's because there was a generation before us 40 years ago, 30 years ago, some of you were here then, and you know what I'm talking about. They sacrificed not only for their own needs, but thinking about the future generations that are coming. 
Uh, we are here being blessed because there were people who are before us, many of whom have now gone on to glory, who when presented with the opportunity, thought beyond their self and beyond their own personal needs. And they said, I want to be a part of something that is bigger than myself. I want to invest in the kids and the adults that are around me today and those who are coming down the line. They didn't envision some of you ever being a part of this church. Yet their sacrifice built a legacy that they enjoy even today in heaven. And so opportunities like this are times when we take our eyes off ourselves. And this is why we're doing timeless, not trendy. Because we're thinking about our grandchildren. I want them. Great-grandchildren, I want them. Some of you got them. And I hope that one day to see them in this church. Okay, y'all don't look over at Jacob and Jill, sorry. <laughs> They're here this morning for the first time in six months and they hear a reference to, it was totally accidental, guys, totally accidental. <laughs> I mean, your head was like on a pivot over here, Jackson, y'all went boom, you know? <laughs> no pressure, right? <laughs> mm. But wouldn't it be great one day to see that happen to see that happen for us, amen? Hey, one final point here. Kingdom projects give us a unique opportunity to express our love and our gratitude to God. In verse 17, David concludes this by saying, I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I have done all this with good motives, and I have watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. O oh Lord, the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make your people always want to obey you. See to it that their love for you never changes. So where do we go from here? What's next? What do you do with all this? Well, in a couple of weeks, around the 1st of September, maybe a few days before or after, um, you're going to get a, a link by email. It's going to be a detailed video where myself, members of the building committee, elders, we sit down, we create, we're going to show you detailed schematics, we're going to show you the renderings, we're going to walk you through everything, how we've gotten here, why we're doing certain things, we believe that certain things need to be done a certain way, uh, why, you know, okay, they, they, we're coming back with recommendations for more space in certain areas, why is that important, why are we doing that? so that we can do the ministry the way we're thinking of. And we want to give you all of that information, okay? And so you'll get a link to that. Um, and I want you to watch that video. Then, after that video has been distributed, we will begin a process of gathering together in your small groups. Uh, you'll have two or three small groups. We'll gather together with myself, with an elder, maybe someone from the building committee. And we want to try to answer every single question you may have after you wrote or watched that video. We want to take in any suggestions that you may have. Maybe we've missed something or you think something needs to be tweaked or changed. We want to hear that from you so that we can march together and everybody comes to this place of satisfaction that what we're about to do on the South 10 Acres is exactly what God would have us to do. We will offer ad hoc groups for those of you who are not in small groups, which we hope you'll fix that even before anything else, right? But if you aren't in a small group, we will have opportunities for you to come in small gatherings and ask your questions, give feedback, 
and get more information. Other thing that we are gonna need is a lot of help to transition. The deacons are doing a great job planning on how do we do ministry on Sunday mornings when we have to set up and tear down everything. We gotta move in cribs, we gotta move everything in every Sunday for the next 18 months. <laughs> right? It's tough. We're gonna need help, okay? But here's the most important thing. We need you to pray. Pray, 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 pray. Listen, we've been praying about cost and they're starting to drop and they're starting to come back to us. Keep praying. Every dollar those costs drop is to our benefit, okay? Pray that God will continue to go before us. Pray that God will do a miracle on the scale of parting the Red Sea when our team goes down to Palm Bay and has to work with the code <laughs> officials down there, right, and the permitting. We need that kind of miracle, right, so that we can be done on the time schedule that we need, so pray, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity. May you use us with this project for your glory. Lord, as your people come together and we pray, would you hear our prayers? Would you work in our hearts where there are motives, where there are uh, attitudes that are, are self-oriented or just are not according to your agenda, whether it's intentional or unintentional, when we are out of a line with your plan and your agenda, would you would you show us our error, show us any sin, keep us close to your breast, Lord Jesus, so that as we continue on with this project, this big project that's intimidating, we see you do a mighty work through Covenant Church. We want this for your glory, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.